Hi friends, this is Anna, and before we get into today's episode, which we are very excited about, I just want to preemptively apologize for the sound quality of our interview today. When we were recording, we didn't notice any issues, everything sounded great, but as soon as I sat down to edit and started listening, I was like, Oh no. So I have done my best to make adjustments on my end, including adding certain effects to make the sound a little bit more natural, likewise adjusting the volume on everyone speaking. So if that is noticeable, that is the reason why. Again, we apologize. The sound quality isn't going to be great, but we are very excited for this interview. Just a reminder, we are two gals recording a podcast remotely. We don't have professional equipment, but we do have a lot of passion. So thank you for showing us that grace and... Um, we hope that our sound quality will improve in the future as time goes on. So thank you so much for listening and on to the episode. Hi, I'm April Little. And I'm Anna Dowahair. And this is the Reclaiming the Garden podcast. Today we have on one of my best friends, Brianda Da Silva. Uh, she is a debut author as of last week. Really, or exciting, you know. As of the time we're recording this outro, it was last week, and yeah, it was just really fun to be able to talk with her about you know her faith journey and you know her passion for storytelling and how that's changed during her sort of faith deconstruction and journey out of Christianity. I should also say something I forgot to actually talk mm-hmm. about during the interview was sort of how we met because I sort of allude to like. We met after we were deconstructing, even though we had sort of been going to the same church. Um, And that's because, like, uh, for one thing, we've got a five-year age difference. And so that affected, like, you know, we would never meet in youth group because we were were not in, um, you know, I was in middle school, she was in high school, and then, you know, graduated Mm -hmm. by the time I was in high school. But um, she also wasn't really even into youth group anyway. Uh, She mostly just went to the adult service. So, and it's also, of course, like... It's, well, especially by the time that we were both, like, nearing the end of, like, attending there, it was, like, really big, Mm -hmm. and so, like, we wouldn't have, yeah, we wouldn't have encountered each other anyway. Though, of course, I did meet her, I met her sister when I was in sixth grade, and somehow, like, she never introduced me to to her, (laughs) so, um, um, yeah, so that's how that happened, and, um, yeah, it was just so nice to have her on, um. Yeah, I I don't recall if you mentioned this but she also designed our fabulous logo right, yeah, so the pink with that. the magenta and purple flowers um and, she oh, designed our logo her, so i yeah. asked her how she made that she had to like mm-hmm. overlay the flower like as a, it was a single image and she had to like overlay it to make it the design which i was like whoa, whoa. <laughs> i had no idea that's so cool yeah so uh, at the end of the episode you'll uh we'll let you know how you can uh purchase her book and also you know follow mm-hmm. her on all the socials so yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. Let's do it. In addition to being uh, one of my best friends and the person who created the uh, logo for our podcast, Brianna De Silva is yes. a proud geek who loves real life adventure just as much as the imaginary kind. With a bachelor's degree in digital arts and design from Full Sail University, Brianna keeps a busy schedule, divided between freelance graphic design, working on indie films, and of course, writing novels. When she's not working, she spends her time devouring books, practicing Krav Maga, and hiking in the pine covered mountains of Colorado. Welcome to the show. I've been so excited to have you on. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I guess we'll start off with the sort of 
question, or not, I guess not quite a question, but it's the thing that we start off with always. Uh, so tell us about mm -hmm. your faith background. My faith background, so I grew up um, evangelical. Um, mm -hmm. I was very much uh, a self-proclaimed Jesus freak, <laughs> like, meaning I literally uh, said that as my description on Facebook once under religion. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I was I was very very passionate, um, and then ended up uh, changing my perspective on things. I guess in my early twenties, like earlier, like in the twenties. Um, so yeah, that's a very short version. But <laughs> I guess like did your faith journey and then your journey into the creative arts. I guess um, how like I guess how did you realize you wanted to work in a more creative field well that uh, has always been the case <laughs> since i was a tiny child so that's well yeah you you started what's interesting you started writing this like novel that's your novel that's soon to be released in a few days uh while you were actually yeah. still evangelical and part yeah, of your faith deconstruction weird. involved a massive overhaul of that of that manuscript <laughs> yeah that's a good angle to talk about that so yeah so i've always been a writer and like when i was younger such as a teenager like as I said, I was very passionate. So my perspective was that, like, I was going to write stories to help, like, bring more people to Jesus. Like, that's just kind of like my, like, my motivation. That was my kind of, motivation like, too when I was writing <laughs> fantasy novels in high school as evangelical. Which is kind of like it's interesting because of a, a purpose that was, you know, externally placed upon me. Which some people think that, like, having a purpose that is like something that is, you know given to you is like supposed to be more meaningful but i found this eventually when i kind of found my own purpose it was a lot more meaningful it was more personalized that's another story but mm -hmm. um or a, a side note i guess um and so it was weird because like i like april mentioned i started writing it i guess about seven and a half years ago so mm -hmm. at that point i was still deeply in that um in that culture and in that um that worldview and i don't know i guess it was like two or three years into that um, <laughs> when I was having my deconstruction. So then it was like, it would have been finished a lot sooner, but I just had this sudden, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to write, I don't know what I want to say. I don't even know what I want to do as a writer anymore. Just like my, my, my purpose before was completely gone and so I had to create new meaning. So eventually, just also due to just learning how to write better, because <laughs> it was my first, your first novels are always going to be the worst. <laughs> Um, and so there was a lot of rewriting that happened. Part of that was like making it clear and stuff, which was very different from the original intention. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that was quite a quite an experience. It was a very different book from what it started as. <laughs> yeah, and so you talk about your deconstruction. Do you want to go more into that, how it sort of happened, and particularly mm -hmm. how you started to discover your queer identity in the midst of that? Mm, yeah, that's such a like, long story. <laughs> um, uh, Oh boy. We love long um, stories on the show. Do it. Yeah. Whatever like rabbit holes long. you would want to go down. God. Um, I feel like overwhelmed. It's, it's so interesting because like there's so many different things that can contribute to something that complex, especially when, you know, if it's something that is just your total world, to have like your total world shift, like there's a lot of pressures that have to come like to do that because we're so, I think it's just like human nature. We're very, um, how would you put it? Like, we really want to keep the status quo. It's very like psychologically comfortable. Um, so there were a lot of things that happened. I mean, I definitely like when I was very young, so I'm a lesbian, um, which you know, of course, 
what I believed was that like lesbians were people that really I didn't even know that like bi was an option but like I knew that like if you were gay in some way that or if you were trans it was the same story that like you probably had some sort of trauma in your childhood or something and like but that Mm. you would uh that it wasn't possible to like arrive at that whatever psychological uh disorder or whatever if you were a Christian so I just didn't think that was possible for me but I noticed sometimes like when I was really like like 13 I would say maybe after, I guess 11 the first time that I noticed that I would still like have attraction to girls um and mm-hmm. I would explain it away as like the devil was trying to tempt me or something um and so I just like suppressed that and it was something I didn't really want to think about for a long time but just something that was there um and then it just I kept trying to make so many excuses for why I was feeling the way I was feeling and there came a point in college where I was having a hard time convincing myself anymore um <laughs> and I started to wonder I had this, this moment when I was I guess about I don't know 22, 23 or something like that I guess maybe where I, I distinctly remember I was on um like on the, the metro on my way home from work and I was just like looking out the window and I was thinking about the ways that I kind of felt different because like I'm, I'm kind of like a, I, I consider myself like a soft switch like I'm, I'm definitely more masculine that was another aspect of, of myself that I was mm-hmm. always surprising um, and you know I just felt like kind of different in certain ways than I always had and, and I was thinking about it and I was thinking about the way that I had those thoughts about girls too and, and my conclusion was that oh my goodness I must be one of those people that if I wasn't a Christian I would be a lesbian like I'm a one of those people that like has yep. those particular temptations but that's how the devil would get me um, and it disturbed me so much. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's mm-hmm. horrible. I don't want to think about that anymore. Um, and uh, something that was interesting though was that I ended up reading, um, I found this blog called, oh, what's it called? You, you two might know what I'm talking about, but it, it's one of those like, um, it's, a gay, it's a blog with a bunch of gay guys who are Christian and who believe that it's wrong to act on. Um, oh, like track. side B people? Side B, that's yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called. Trying to remember, I can see the image, the vlog in my in my mind. Your other brothers, something like that. I think it's your other brothers, something like that. Um, and it's a bunch of stories okay. of these guys just just, talk, just talking about their lives and talking about um, you know their experiences. And and the more I read it, the more I was like, this just doesn't make any sense because clearly all of them are not able to stop being gay. They're just choosing to be celibate or they're choosing whatever they're choosing to, you know, marry someone they're not attracted to. And, and that disturbed me even more. Um, so I was like, well, that doesn't, like, that doesn't seem fair. Um, and I'd, I'd also been, like, really struggling with the sort of the gender roles that, um, that I was taught. So we, we definitely, like, I definitely grew up with this mindset that, uh, you know, I could see whatever I want to see. That like, we were really encouraged, you know, um, in my family especially. I would say uh, a, a certain level of like gender equality. I would say, um, but it, with the exception of in the church or in a marriage um, where women are still supposed to submit to men. And I really struggled mm-hmm. with that. It was just, like, so against my nature. I'm like, I want to submit to anyone. <laughs> and like, I'm like, is that yeah. all God wants? I don't know. And I struggled that for like a decade. You know, I would just go back and forth. I remember I had. A, I had, like, an argument once with, like, this ultra-conservative guy. I was, like, 17. <laughs> we were, like, arguing about, like, the theology of it and stuff. But, like, and I just, 
it just, it really bothered me. And but what finally had all these things kind of coalesce and start the, uh, um, this was a free slope, which is funny because it literally was one for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, there was someone in my life who was following this kind of theology and she was, you know, submitting to her husband and all that. And her husband ended up cheating on her and he ended up, um, and she's terrified. And she was like, she suddenly felt like he was a totally different person. She didn't know, she, you know, she didn't know who he was anymore. And, and, and she was just like sharing this with me. And she's like on the floor, like crying about it. Like, I don't like, she didn't know how to take care of herself financially. Like she didn't know what was going on. And I was just sitting there comforting her. I was like, huh, well, this sucks. <laughs> this clearly doesn't work because she's vulnerable. He was the one that was supposed to protect her. But of course he, you know, he's a human and humans are also, you know, they do things that are wrong. And, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and there was just this moment where I was like, I don't care what the, what the Bible is actually telling me or not. I don't care. This is wrong. If this is clearly wrong, this is clearly degrading to women, this idea. So I reject it. And that, that mindset was me finally being like, I'm like, for myself about that. Um, and thinking about that, getting rid of those generals, suddenly being against gay marriage made no sense anymore. And so I just, so that was basically just file after that. I started asking more and more questions and doing all sorts of research. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she changed my mind on like <laughs> almost everything. Not everything, but almost. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. that was kind of what, what led to it all, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you did eventually... I mean, although you sort of had a foray in progressive Christianity, you did eventually decide that you were not a Christian, that you were an atheist. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, it's interesting because I think for me, because I thought about this a lot, I I had a conversation with you April about this, because, like, you know, we had similar backgrounds, so we ended up at very different places. Um, We had, like, Mm -hmm. almost the exact same background, really. Um, And and I was asking you about, like, what it was about Christianity that so... um, that drew you to and you were telling me that it was like it was Jesus like obviously because that's what about and I think for me what I ultimately realized was that, was that even though I called myself a Jesus priest like the character person of Jesus was never really that important to me if you had said that to me when I was 17 I would have been really offended but it was true like I, I the New Testament wasn't what I connected with it was always the Old Testament it was always like this personal relationship with God who was a very disembodied kind of like it was a very personalized space that I had and I wasn't really like into being in the church at all like I didn't really care about church so mm-hmm. it wasn't really like like the religion of Christianity that was ever really like all that important to me even though I thought it was <laughs> it was more like this like sort of personal faith and what I and so it, I very naturally kind of shifted to a more like um what would you call that like a um blanking on the term um mystic like a sort of mystical um <laughs> perspective and I was at the, yeah. one of those queer Christians uh, well the one I think when you attended because you told me about this before I think it was still a great gay Christian network I think it was probably the last year that it was gay uh, Christian network before it now it's called oh, okay. Q, Q Christian Fellowship so Q Christian Fellowship yeah so I was there and I thought those would be going to be my people and I realized mm-hmm. that like they were <laughs> there was this point where like they, everyone was doing this work, like worship songs or thing. And I was getting there. I'm like, I just don't like connect with this. It's just isn't really all that meaningful mm-hmm. to me personally. Like, like I, I think that you know the figure of Jesus is a great figure. It's not really like one that really draws me all that much. And so then I kind of like left the the conference. And I was like, it's almost over. I think I'm just done. And I was like, I'm not a Christian. Like I, um, mm-hmm. yeah. It took like a year or so after my to get to that point. 
and then about a year or two later, eventually I realized that like I sort of the mystical side of me wasn't really there anymore either. There really wasn't anything that I believed in anymore. Um, so I was like, oh, I guess I became an atheist. So I sort of became what they warn you. <laughs> yeah. Question. <laughs> You fell down the deconstruction rabbit hole and ended up, ooh. An atheist lesbian. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It's the worst thing in the world. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess you you brought up the point about us, like, having a very similar background. I mean, uh, I guess I'll say, like, we did uh, spend our adolescence at the exact same uh, church and you know but we did end up in these two very different places and actually when we when we met we were already like basically in those in those different places we actually yeah. didn't know each other when we attended and when we were like in evangelicalism but you um, knew my sister which is kind of funny yes yeah she was one of my first friends in youth group and actually technically you attended the first summer camp summer church camp that I went to which is just funny to think about but of course they like yeah. separated the middle schoolers and high schoolers so of course we wouldn't have crossed paths but anyway um yeah I guess you know I think something that's cool about our friendship is like you know I feel like in church we were warned that like oh you shouldn't get too close to like your non-christian friends because they'll like they'll pull you away from the faith and it's yeah like, no. or like they'll cause you <laughs> to like, stumble <laughs> It's like, you know, you, you respect my faith and why I've stayed. And then I also respect like that you left and why you left. So I think that's really cool. And I think that's the thing that's actually pretty common in the ex-evangelical community. I mean, certainly there is conflict and drama, uh, like in any community, but I think it's cool that like, despite so many differences and where people end up, there is a sense of like solidarity and that like we've been through some shit so we got to stand together yeah 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 yes i very much value that about our friendship (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh um i i hope you don't mind me bringing this up you had a purity Uh ring (laughs) you had a purity (laughs) ring I did, and the funny thing about that is that I just lost it one day. Like, I really, like, like I used to wear it, like, on this ring, which is so funny, because, like, I was so innocent, I didn't even think about the fact that I was wearing it on my middle finger. <laughs> like, that's kind of weird. But that's what I, I wore it on that finger for years and years and years and years, and then sometimes it would, like, slip off, because it was, like, a little bit too big, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And then one day, it, like, slipped off, and I never found it again. And at that point, I was already, like, I, I, I was still... Like I was still, it was before my deconstruction, but I, I was kind of, kind of a little disillusioned from some of the like um, purity culture stuff already. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I, I was at that point. I, I, I had been really into you know my parents. Just I read a bunch of books about um, the sort of like a uh, uh, courtship. Um, Wait, did you read I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I didn't read that one. I read like so many of the other ones that were inspired by that. Funny enough, I never ended up getting around to it. Yeah, even I'd always meant to. Um, I was very influenced by what are their names? Eric and Leslie Moody, I think. I mm-hmm. might be mis- mixing up the names somewhat, but their uh, husband and wife they wrote the story when God writes your love story. Oh my thing. God! Um, yeah. Oh dear! So it, oh, it had such bad influence on me. Like really, <laughs> like I just had such. I was just such a passive person, just waiting around for you know my true love to come basically and and when that didn't go the way i expected it to i got really disillusioned and so when i lost it i was like 
okay. <laughs> oh, oh well. And later I was kind of glad. It's like, what would I would have done with it anyway? I just thrown it away, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know, um, interesting thing. I don't know if you ever heard about this, but um, the pastor Nadia Bowles Weber took a bunch of purity yes. rings, melted them down, and made a vagina sculpture out of it. So. <laughs> I think that's the only thing you can do with your um, yes. discarded purity rings, honestly. <laughs> also, I'm curious to know, were you, did you like participate in like a purity ball or was it like a pure, like, was it through your church or was that like at the time a decision um, you had made it was, for yourself? It was yourself? your dad, right? Your dad like took you out to dinner. It was like weird, yeah, right? That was oh. something we did. That was kind of like a family thing we, we huh. did. Although, I don't know what else in Jeff with a purity ring. I don't know why that was. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I can imagine some reasons why, but I won't get into that. Well, all of our, each of each of the kids, I come from a big family, and there are six kids, so I'm the oldest of six. Um, and mm-hmm. each of us kind of grew up very, very differently, which is interesting. Like, we should kind of, like, come to different conclusions, too. Um, and yeah. uh, some of those differences were starting while young, so maybe that's why I was feeling what in different But, um, yeah, so it was like... My dad took me to dinner once, and then we like, like prayed together. Something you would do during, yeah. <laughs> it feels huh. weird now. To, oh like, yeah, at the it... time it didn't feel weird. It felt really sweet. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's like that thing of like now you know better, and like it's that thing of hindsight where yeah, like th- th- that is a really sweet gesture. But once you kind of fall into that trap of purity culture, and like you realize wait a minute, there are some not great implications behind a lot of this, and I'm agreeing to something when I don't entirely know what I'm agreeing to, then that's when you can kind of look at the hindsight and be like, oh, it's, because I know that in my church we've been talking about lately, like, some things were bad in youth group, but remember that they did serve you, like, they must have served you at some point, and it's okay to let, like, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, like, you can Mm -hmm. keep the good things you got from something, but, like, feel free to discard any of the toxicity attached to it, which that's kind of what that reminded me of. Yeah, I, I, that's something that I feel like has been uh, a little bit of a, um, a realization that I've had recently. Because I've definitely gone through all sorts of different phases, as one does, um, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like almost like stages of grief, kind of. I don't know if it was exactly one yeah. of of grief, but there's some aspects of that. You know, there was a period of a lot of, a lot of anger that I had, like towards mm-hmm. all of my background and everything, and you know, to like very irrational degrees. Um, and then, I, but eventually, I was able to um, kind of recognize some of the things that you know, from my background, that I still stay with me. Which is why I said earlier, like a change of mind, different every, almost everything, but not everything. Like there are certain things that certain values, you know, that came from that culture that I still hold and I still find valuable, and I think that. I think it's it's very healthy to be able to like acknowledge things like that, especially if, if you've experienced harm from something like that um, mm-hmm. and it's hurt you to be able to get to the point where you're not just like angry at the whole thing. So it's not healthy, and it's it's usually not true either. It, maybe sometimes it's true, but yeah. I don't think it's usually going to be true that it's like all bad that you've experienced. It's like a whole you know a whole religion or something like that. What are what are some yeah. of the values that have stayed with you? Oh man, you caught me off guard. I wrote a bunch of these down a while ago. Um, here's one example. This is a really easy one that like goes to uh, some of the things I was mentioning earlier, which is that you know I used to think that like 
<laughs> I was trying to, you know, write, create, write stories and create media that would, like, bring people to God. And that was because I believed that um, the kinds of stories we tell matter um, and that there is, like, an influence that, that has in the culture. And, like, that's a perspective that I still have. I just think that I, you know, it's, like, different things that I want to say. Um, but I still kind of have that, like, like passion behind writing stories where it's not you know, just entertainment, uh, I'm putting like air quotes around that, just entertainment, because it's also a fine mm-hmm. just entertainment, <laughs> something wrong with that, um, good to take breaks and rest, and <laughs> entertainment can be that for you, um, yeah, but like, but like for me personally, I, I find a lot of meaning in storytelling, and that, that's something that I think mm-hmm. is very, like the Christian filmmaking um, community, which I used to be really deeply involved in, like that, like that, that's a very central value that they have. And so, um, like the Christian filmmaking community, like that's very heavily like evangelical. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was obviously. Oh my gosh, wait, did you ever watch God's Not Dead? I guess I'm wondering, were you still, yeah, you might have still been, yeah, evangelical when it came out. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, they're coming out with a fourth one. And it's about, oh, cool. oh, you might have an interesting perspective on this as someone who was actually, who was homeschooled. So I think the, for, the plot of the fourth is that they're going after homeschooling parents about, like, regulating the homeschooling environment. <laughs> it's, um... I could tell you so much about that culture because, like, the thing is, is like, there was this this whole dichotomy of so many, so many of the like evangelical Christian movies that would come out, and I don't know if it's improved because I haven't watched them in years, but like, you know, ten years ago or so when I was involved in this stuff, like, it was all just so cheesy. The thing was that, like, filmmakers knew that, like, Christian filmmakers, filmmakers we'd all talk about, like, we don't want to make Christian like, cheesy movies, you know, like, we want them to just like yeah. stories that anyone can experience, but. The problem was that it's like almost unavoidable and the reason why i've realized that now is that because i've experienced this now not just in christian films i've experienced this in like like political stories too like if you come to a story and this this almost seems like it's contradicting what i said before but it's not <laughs> like you come to a story like with a set agenda of like some sort of um you know this message like a really precise message that's like ideological, political, something like that, and that's what you're trying to do, um, that's what you're trying to communicate, it's always going to come across as inauthentic and false because your, your primary motivation isn't just to tell a story, um, and you're not, like, trying yeah. storytelling principles first, and, and it's, it just always will come across as inauthentic. So <laughs> you, have to, you have to understand how to, like, your, your, it's not a message that you're telling, it's more like a theme. A or a story yeah. telling a story and the point is to tell a good story right and there should be there always should be a, like a moral implication it's interesting because i i i thought that only christians cared about that and i remember i had a secular uh screenwriting uh instructor or professor or whatever when i was younger that said the same thing i was like oh really <laughs> that's what everyone thinks about a good story should have some sort of uh, mm-hmm. a moral uh implication but it's not going to be like it's not going to be like uh some like really precise thing like <laughs> uh like i think for example of like um i watched the movie with my mom years ago it's like a non-christian example of this it was it was an adaptation of one of ayn rand's books and it came across just okay. so there's a very p- specific political agenda that the story had it was trying to tell you like hey, yeah capitalism is good and you're like okay like your whole story just ar- arranges around that instead you want to tell something like you know 
when you're fighting the monster, don't become one. Like like a principle like that. It's like, you know, revenge is bad. <laughs> like, you know, family's the most important thing. Like, that's the kind of, like, thing yeah. that's, that's deeper. And you can imply some of those more complex messages. Um, but it has to be very subtle. Yeah, and one thing I've re- I watched a video on this once about, like, the God's Not Dead series. Um, and they said, like, like the person who I will link this video, I guess, when we release the episode so people can watch it. But it was like how the wrong message is being sent because it's such an alienating message to people that aren't in this very specific subset of Christianity. Because the person who made the video was like, I went to a Newsboys concert because they wrote the God's Not Dead song. And when they showed like one of the atheist characters on screen, the whole audience booed. And it's like, what if someone had brought like, their atheist friend, their agnostic friend, just again, or friend that is outside of that evangelical Christian bubble to that concert and they saw that. Like you're not bringing people in with your media, regardless of what bringing people in means, at least bringing them into a bigger story. You're othering people that aren't like you and you're pushing them away and that's the lesson that's being taken away from that sort of thing. And it could totally be done. There's an example, and I was just thinking about this recently, um, of a sort of like, at least I, I expect it was an evangelical Christian career because it was very pro-life with the message. Um, but there's this movie, I think it's called Bella. And, and it was a great example of that. It was a story that was just, it was, it was just a story about a woman who was pregnant and she was thinking it was an unexpected pregnancy and she was thinking about getting an abortion and she spends this day with this other guy, his, her uh, former co-worker, and they're just like hanging out and, and he ends up telling a traumatic past story where he had where he accidentally uh, hit a kid when he was like a long time ago and, and, and killed the kid with his car and, um, and he ends up it, it, you never hear him actually persuading her not to have the abortion but it's implied that somewhere along the way she ends up deciding to let him adopt a child and then um, yeah. and, and it becomes like his redemption so like that's a way that you can have a sort of that like a message that that kind of you want to tell but it's a good story you know it's not like yeah you you don't you don't have the atheist get hit by a car at the end of the movie and then have a (laughs) have a like final breath deathbed conversion yeah yeah that's what it is forgot about that (laughs) when i i remember telling my sister about that and she you know she was are already an atheist at the time and so she was like oh my god that's horrible and I was like but but he went to heaven my evangelical ass actually said that like I somehow thought that was a good fucking thing like yeah uh. and it's so funny because I've seen like again there's so many videos online about like just people relentlessly mocking the God's Not Dead series um and one of the people's like okay like these pastors like hit this they find this man who's gotten hit by a car and the first thing they don't do is call an ambulance, but they're like, you're dying. We're going to pray over you. Oh, so messed up. I, yeah. yeah those, those movies are laughable. They're very laughable. And it's sad because that seems to kind of be on the whole with most um, Christian media. And especially, again, like, it's much more overtaken by evangelicalism. But that just seems to be the case is they're not good it's just, I, they're just not good. <laughs> I, I remember having pretty good memories. I mean, and maybe this just was because I, I was still evangelical when I saw this movie, but um, Soul Surfer, like, I feel like at that, when I look back, I'm like, that doesn't seem too, too bad or cheesy. That's so, because Soul Surfer wasn't made in that, in the indie right. Christian 
community that was made in Hollywood, but I think there were some Christians that were involved. So, yeah. so that's why <laughs> that one was different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of storytelling and media, um, your book comes mm-hmm. out in two days, right? Yeah. How oh do you feel? Gosh. Yeah, it does. I, I, <laughs> I'm doing that question. It's so fortunate. I'm so burned out. It's like, it's bad. This is my first, this is my first book launch and I'm self-published because I wanted to uh, experience all the marketing and I, I realized how overwhelming it is to do it <laughs> and so I'm very burnt out and uh, wish I could say I was more excited or something but I mean yeah, you've like, done a great job with your website though like yeah. I saw that when I clicked oh, on it it said you. the offer for like see a preview of City Reckoning like it looks like you've done a great job so That's, and I, I do want to ask though I know that your book comes out in two days yeah the 21st oh. so it's at time of recording the 21st days, so, yeah Okay, so by the time this episode is released, the book have will have been released. Get the book; it's great. <laughs> it's gay. Yeah, it's, it's great it's, and uh, it's gay. <laughs> it's I would say it's it's a very it's, it's a very like bi positive book. Um, the uh, gayness is a little bit less less there, um, though there will be more of that. I would say people, but yeah, it's definitely very LGBT. So we should say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so it is a, well, I guess, so City of Reckoning, it's a big epic fantasy novel about a group of young warriors who get caught up in a war and begin to wonder if they're fighting to the wrong side. And it's got epic journeys and wolf companions, winged people, um, and it deals with uh, things like trauma and revenge. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the, the rundown of it. Um, it's a really big book, so it's like, you like really big epic fantasy stories that are like really immersive, a lot of in-depth world building, it'll be a thing. If you don't like that kind of thing, don't read it. <laughs> but if you like that kind of thing, it's for you. So yeah. That sounds yeah. so it's, awesome. I can't wait to read. Yeah, it's been it's been such a journey to get this out. But the first of many. Yeah. I I've always yeah, I've I've always wanted to uh, write lots of fiction novels. It's kind of surprising it didn't this long. But as I kind of explained already, there's a reason why it took so long for my first You also you <laughs> also have a little poetry book, right? That's actually about like your oh, deconstruction. Yeah. yeah. So that's Yeah, cool too. I do. That this will probably be more relevant to more of the readers, <laughs> I mean more of the listeners to the podcast. I, I did write a, a poetry book called A Canvas of Stars. Um, and it's on Amazon mm. only, the, the City of Reckoning, the fancy book will be everywhere, but um, it is everywhere already. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, A Canvas of Stars is basically, while I was in the midst of my deconstruction, I wrote a bunch of poetry as a way to like process my feelings and my thoughts. Um, and and as I was you know, discovering my sexuality at the time, I thought I was bi because compulsive heterosexuality is a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like convincing myself that I liked guys because I was supposed to. So eventually I realized I was lucky. But the time I wrote that, um, it was for the perspective of someone who was quote unquote figuring out that she was bi. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, it's a very like raw, <laughs> like personal uh, bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and the stars. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, I guess going back to your soon-to-be-released novel, um, who's, are you inspired, like, is there any particular author or series that, like, inspires your own writing style? Definitely. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a, a, like, a handful that I would say have been most influential on me. Um, two that come to mind immediately are um, Pierce Brown, who wrote the uh, sci-fi series mm-hmm. um, Red Rising, the Red Rising trilogy. Um, 
uh, was very influenced by the way he writes characters and also just like the general tone and style of the story is very much like my style of writing. I was like, what? It exists in the world. Um, Maggie Stiefeter, especially with, I never know if I'm saying her name right, but especially with her um, Raven Cycle, another series that really um, inspired me a lot with characters, uh, character development. Um, and then I was also really influenced by The Hunger Games um, because so yes. this is something that The Hunger Games and Red Rising does is really well where I have a frustration where a lot of a lot of fictional stories that deal with violence like is especially prevalent in like fantasy and sci-fi but I think it happens in all sorts of different genres but mm-hmm. you'll deal with like violence and these really disturbing things and your characters just like keep going like they don't have any realistic reaction to what they've experienced and what they're doing those two yeah. stories do that really well where it's like there's genuine trauma that is specific to that character like how that character would react and you know mm-hmm. they don't gloss over any of that yeah um cool. i guess is there anything like that you've learned from the from your whole journey that you feel like has ended up in in the book in some way like not just maybe in the queerness of the characters but also like in other mm-hmm. themes definitely um i would say in fact like because at first I had one, you know, I had something I was trying to say as an evangelical, and then I was trying to figure out what it was I actually wanted to say with the story. And and I would say I was very much influenced by my observations with other people like myself, people who have had traumatic experiences um, with, you know, either like religious trauma or, um, or you know, just in general, I guess someone's been discriminated against and... Um, it, it's easy for that to make you very angry. Like I mentioned before, like I had a season where I was very angry, and um, and that can be really destructive. And sometimes I think people don't really allow themselves to heal in like a healthy way from some of that from some of that trauma. And and sometimes that can yeah. lead to very dark outcomes. And I've seen that in people. I've seen people just like choose, you know, very <laughs> like just disturbing um mindsets and actions um and sort of taking it out against the world instead of finding where it is that's hurting yourself and um you know and dealing with that uh instead of like externalizing that and so that was part of what the, the story is about because the main character is going through that kind of process um and <laughs> actually several of them are so it's fundamentally a story about trauma uh, uh, the backdrop of revolution and war and all that stuff, but it's a story about yeah. people that have all experienced really terrible things, and they have to decide. They still have to decide to do the right thing. It doesn't matter how much you have been harmed; it never justifies you then going and being harmed. People can abuse you; that doesn't mean you can go abuse others. You know, like so. Yeah. The the, the desire for revenge and execution is very dangerous and dark thing. I think. Um, people that have, you know, experienced mental things are accountable to that, so that's kind of a, that's kind of like where a lot of those observations are put into the story, is like a warning though, it's like, if you experience trauma, make sure that, <laughs> make sure that you are able to get the feeling that you need and not take that out on other people, because that you, it doesn't matter yeah. how justified you are, feeling angry, you're not justified to then go and do the wrong thing. Um, where do you like to go adventuring? <laughs> I partially, I partially already know the answer to this question because I recently yeah, visited did, Brianna. You've done, <laughs> yeah, you've done a lot of adventuring with me, so. <laughs> um, 
So I live close to like the Rocky Mountains, um, and uh, well, I'm I'm I guess I'm closer to the um, like older range. What is that called? The um, the Flatirons, uh, right? The Flatirons, yes, exactly those. Um, uh. And uh, about like thirty minutes away from them. So when I go outside, I just like look and they're right there, and they're so big and beautiful. And uh, the best thing about living there is I just anytime I leave the house, I'm like. <laughs> um, and they're pretty the driving distance. So I will go to various areas of the mountains. There are a lot of different places that I've taken. April is uh, the main one. I guess the main three areas that I really love. And uh, yeah, so I, I would love to have more <laughs> of the outdoor adventures. I feel like I do the minimal that I could, <laughs> what I should probably do more because I. I I love that I'm close to things, but I still do hike a lot more than I did when I lived in Virginia before I moved here. So <laughs> there is that. That's amazing to have such a such a um, abundance of mountain ranges where you live. So beautiful, like especially I would say in like late spring. Like oh my god, because you get you get snow that's still on the mountains. You see a little bit of like some you know white specks <laughs> on the mountains and then oh wow or is in the fields and it's just like ah ah so beautiful yeah oh, right now that's amazing because everything's dry <laughs> but I still mm-hmm. love it. what are your hopes for the future whether that be in just like things generally or like ideas for future projects that's a potentially shallow or deep question <laughs> when I was um, I want to write like lots of books, um, lots of static books of very adventure heavy sci-fi and fantasy stories. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I love where I live, so I will stay here hopefully for the rest of my life. <laughs> and yeah. I have a family one day. That's one thing that I that I don't have that I would I mean, you know, a second family. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that covers. I would like to have some pets. I can't at the moment. But <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's not a, a personal and professional thing. Um, I'm also, I mean, I'm also a filmmaker. I, I that hasn't been like as big of a thing in my life lately. Um, but I did return to that, even though like I took a big break uh, after being in the, the indie Christian uh, film scene. Um, so I've gotten mm-hmm. into some other indie films and stuff. But um, yeah, I think that kind of summarizes it. <laughs> Lots of the things that I yeah. want to create, and yeah, a lot of stories I want to tell. Can't wait to witness all of the creations. <laughs> um, so uh, Brianna's novel, City of Reckoning, uh, at the time of the release of this episode, is available for purchase uh, on pretty much lots of places, right? Online, I guess. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Um, and uh, what? where can people reach you on social media and the, the internet? Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, and that's just like my name, but there's an underscore, just like Brianna underscore De Silva. Um, there's two N's in Brianna. Um, and I'm also on Instagram as curious mm-hmm. underscore storyteller. <laughs> but I'm not very active. Nice. There. Um, and you can you can find a Facebook group. I mean, a Facebook page too. Uh, my author page is like your own Facebook, but not really Facebook. <laughs> Those are the main places. Sure. I also have a blog, um, BriannaDeSilva.blog, and um, in the case anyone needs the full spelling, it's B R I A N N A D A S I L V A. Nice. We'll have that Perfect. in the show notes as well. Um, well, mm-hmm. Brianna, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, this thank you so much. You. 
Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> We're working on an outro song. This is just the placeholder. Yeah! So if you're interested in supporting any of Brianna's work, such as her book or her uh, the uh, her directorial debut, which is a online YouTube series called The Cultists, uh, you can find that on all, all her social medias, you know, links in her bio, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, Anna, do you want to talk about ways that people can support our podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so definitely be sure to check out our Patreon. We will be uploading more exclusive content on there we're once also, we get more patrons. We're, we're also <laughs> rethinking a little bit about, like, we are rethinking about the perks and whether there are different things that we could offer to attract more people. So if you guys have any yeah. ideas about that, we would really appreciate it. We are also definitely going to be launching merch. Hopefully our goal is to like launch merch around like November. That way people can get stuff for the holidays, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, we have some fun merch ideas, but we also want to hear from you. Um, likewise, of course, you can follow us on all social media, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, that's cool. I don't think a lot of people are. I know we have a couple. Um, I know that our, I think yeah. our purity culture episodes probably has the most like views just because it, you know, it uses the buzzword. I bet women in the Bible will also get views that way as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then of course, um, feel free to rate and review on Apple podcasts. Cause again, that really does help boost us in the algorithm. Um, but otherwise, just thank you for listening and thank you for supporting us however you are able. We're so grateful yeah, to have people I, listening. I'm very appreciative of the recent, we've actually gotten a recent sort of flux in uh, listens on the Alicia yeah. Crosby interview, which has been really cool to see. Um, mm-hmm. When you actually, when you search on Spotify right now, Alicia Crosby, we're one of like the, the top podcast episodes that comes up, which is so cool. Uh, That's really exciting. Yeah. We are super appreciative of, you know, any way that you guys support us. Like we recently mm-hmm. got just some nice words from one of our friends, Elliot, and that was really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I guess we can move on to high of the week. What is your high of the week, Anna? I feel like there are lots of things in the works in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say like high of the week is I've gotten like a pretty nice template down for my grad school statements of purpose um and as it's just a matter of like changing of course the school and what i want to get out of each school but i'm very proud of what i have done so far um so yeah that's i feel pretty accomplished in that um i most of the applications i'm doing won't be due until around february or march but i also don't want to push it to the last second so i'm giving myself plenty of time yeah i'm giving myself plenty of time with my, um, with my grad school mm-hmm. application i did it over the course of like three months so or, or maybe gotcha more, so. <laughs> gotcha and like as someone who went to um university and had a transfer admission guarantee because i went to community college before that um i really didn't have i didn't have to necessarily worry about things like sat scores mm-hmm. or like t- letters of recommendation or anything like that um whereas now it's having to make sure i have all of the proper criteria available yeah, and all have, of the do you resources have to do testing i seminary people are lucky we usually do not have to do testing at all i did not no i none of the programs i'm applying to have require the gre because frankly speaking i'm not a great test taker and mm-hmm. the least amount of tests i need to take to do things the happier of a human i'll be mm-hmm. so none of my programs are requiring the gre <laughs> yeah what's your highlight of the week uh, highlight of the week, I got pay yesterday. It's my first paycheck at where yes. I'm working. Uh, I'm uh, a substitute teacher in my county uh, for, for a high school. Um, 
And because uh, I figured it would be like a good thing to do uh, while I save up money for grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, yeah, I live in an affluent county, so it is pretty good money. And it's also like a substitute teacher is actually weirdly like really needed right now because of the yeah. world that we're living in with COVID. Like, I feel like teachers are a lot more quick to take off if they're sick and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, my honestly, my first paycheck though, it's more money than I made in a whole month during my service year. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that sounds incredibly nice. Yeah, I love my. It's like service I hope year, this isn't but... a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> love my service year, but definitely glad to be making like actual money. A hundred percent, and you get to be at home, like living at home and everything too. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's going to start to add up as grad school for you draws closer. Yes, definitely. Um, well, thank y'all for listening to this episode. And yeah. we'll see you in the next one, which is a Bible Dyke deep dive on the book of Revelation. Yes, we are <laughs> so excited about it. I'm so excited to start researching. Um, and we are also going to be very excited for y'all to listen to that one. Um, so stay tuned for it. Bye, friends.